This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, September 13th, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. The typical American view of Islam continues to be marred by the tiny fraction of self-described Muslims who make common cause with groups like ISIS or al-Qaeda. That according to new Cato Institute senior fellow Mustafa Akiol, author of The Islamic Jesus. We spoke last week about Islam and what Americans often still fail to appreciate about it. You've written about uh, the relationships uh, multiple uh, among Christianity, uh, Judaism, and Islam, and I think there is a, there's a broad misunderstanding about what Islam is. And of course, there are you know there are many many denominations of Christianity. There are many different kinds of Judaism, uh, and there are several uh, kinds of Islam. So what do people not understand, at least particularly in the United States, what do Americans not understand about Islam at its core? Sure, that's a good question. I mean, first of all, of course, some Americans understand very well. And you know, in every society, I think there are people who have a better sense of uh, different societies and, and, and those who have sometimes prejudices or stereotypes. Um, what I would like to emphasize, though, is Islam is not an alien religion from either a Jewish or Christian perspective. Uh, we hear the word Judeo-Christian very often in the world today. Um, Islam can be added to that. We can speak of a Judeo-Christian Islamic you know, tradition because Islam emphatically itself uh, emphasizes that uh, it's the continuation of uh, Judaism and Christianity. It's, it criticizes them, you know, it has differences from both, but it is coming from the same roots. It's a very Abrahamic religion, and you can see it everywhere. I mean, we Muslims go to Kaaba in, in, you know, in Hijaz in Saudi Arabia today because we believe that it was built by Abraham and Ishmael as a, you know, monotheistic temple. Uh, we uh, have an Eid, <laughs> which is a festival in which Muslims slaughter, you know, animals for God, not themselves necessarily, but through a butcher or something. And we do it because, oh, it's the story of Abraham and sacrifice, which is a biblical story. So when you read the Quran, you will see a lot of themes that are uh, in the Bible. So it's it's a new branch of the Abrahamic tree. And once we understand that, you can say, oh, okay, so Muslims are going through some of the issues that Christians and Jews have also discussed in their histories. Uh, and and, and uh, once you understand that, you know, there can be better sense of what Islam is. It's not a totally alien religion from especially a Western point of view and assuming West, the Western civilization is being defined very much by its Judeo-Christian origins. So that's uh, a core element that uh, Americans need to appreciate about Islam. But when we're presented with Muslims on the news, it's, it's rarely good. It's, it's, it's usually presented as a threat. And in, in, in most of the cases, that if it makes the news, it probably is something of a threat. So help me make sense then of this disconnect between like you're a Muslim and what we what Americans typically see presented on the news as activities of Muslims. Well, first of all, the Muslims who make the news are generally not the nicest Muslims. We should emphasize that. I mean, they're more than a billion peaceful Muslims living out there. 
And there is obviously a fanatic terrorist strain uh, within the Muslim world today, popping up with different names like Al-Qaeda or ISIS or Boko Haram. So that's a real problem, but that's a minority among Muslims. The people who sympathize with them is also a minority, but they make the news and headlines and you hear about them and not just the normal people. So that's one thing, but why do we have such groups? My argument is that, well, we have some important theological or jurisprudential issues in Islam. So there's a tension between uh, the rigid Islamic groups which follow rigid doctrines uh, and there's a clash between them and modern society. There's a clash between them and human rights. There's a clash between them and you know liberal democracy. So there, it's there. Um, but on top of that, there are also simply geostrategic tensions sometimes between Muslim populations and 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 Westerners or 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 Indians or I mean Hindus or uh, or Russians. So there are some geostrategic tensions that are happening in the world today, which happens to put Muslim society sometimes at tension with other societies. They don't necessarily come from religion. Like an example would be the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Is it a religious conflict? Well, certainly there are religious overtones to it, but it's a conflict over land. And I always say if the Palestinians were not Muslim but Hindu or Buddhist, they would still have a tension with the Israelis because they're claiming the same land. And no wonder some Palestinians are Christian, by the way, so they still have an issue with Israelis. So there are sometimes just political issues, just strategic issues that happen to put these different nations, uh, different peoples against each other. But we should not over-religionize them and see their non-religious roots as well. There is a not insignificant population in the United States that sees uh, the demographic shifts that are occurring in Europe as an infiltration. And they view uh, Muslim immigration to Europe and Muslims have had to had to deal with some some pretty uh, negative response negative responses. There have been a lot of criminal incidents that have been highly publicized in France in particular. What do you say to Americans who see that and see that as a as a problem and it's as something that uh, the United States needs to avoid? Well, I would tell Americans that they should look at their own example, which is much better than the European example. Uh, Muslims in the United States are typically much more integrated to American society than the ones in Europe. And that has a lot to do with America's own blessings, let's say. America is a nation of immigrants. You can have hyphenated identities. You can feel proud as a Muslim Pakistani, but also an American, like you, as you can be an American Jew or American Irish or Italian. You can be American Muslim, American Turk, American, uh, let's say, Arab. Um, that allows better integration. American economy, you know, uplifts people, gives people opportunity. You don't ghettoize in America that much as in Europe in terms of culture. Um, so actually, Americans have done a better job. <laughs> and sometimes European societies have not been very able to integrate Muslims, uh, immigrants, because of their own culture and their own more homogeneous, I think, ways. Or the welfare state, which actually keeps people as lazy immigrants rather than people who join the workforce. Or in some cases, prevents them from joining the workforce by law. Yeah, and, exactly. And effectively uh, yeah. creates a separate society exactly, for those people. Exactly. And also the European picture uh, the European Muslim picture, of course, is complicated. Whenever I speak about this, I ask my you know, friends in the West, do you know which European society, which European country 
has the highest percentage of Muslims uh, compared to its overall population. I mean, which EU member, let's say, country? And people say, oh, probably it's France or it's Germany or UK, probably. Well, no, it's Bulgaria. Uh, and you never hear about, you know, the question over Muslims in Bulgaria because Bulgaria's Muslims are Muslims who are living there for five centuries. There are Turks or Pomaks, Bulgarian-speaking Muslims, who are a part of the Bulgarian culture and they speak the language and they're there. So what, part of the quote-unquote Muslim issue in Europe is uh, it, it coming from the fact that these are new immigrants who have not been able to adopt to European culture. On the other hand, I think people who are thinking about you know Muslims in the West should see that the presence of Muslims in the West also allows uh, raise a more liberal Muslimhood. And I see this very clearly in the US and I think it's coming in Europe too. Not all of the immigrants, Muslim immigrants or second or third generations or fourth generations come to the West are ghettoized. They're rather actually liking, they're, they're admiring this new society they've joined. That happens more in the US and Canada, I should say, than Europe, but it's happening in Europe too. And they're adopting to its ways. They remain proud Muslims, but they've become fully Westerners. And actually, they are now building a new understanding of Islam, which can exemplify, I think, a new, more modern Muslimhood and, and, and can give be a source of uh, inspiration for other Muslims. So we should allow that to develop and not squeeze it by saying that, you know, these people are alien to the West. What do we know uh, uh, historically about how for example, Christians have been treated in Muslim societies historically, and the Crusades, of course, was a, was a very was literally a dark time in world history. But when you see ISIS cutting off the heads of journalists or people that they've they've captured, you know that that sends a very powerful message. But of course, Christianity has a history that is not much better. I can I think safely say that. In the pre-modern era in world history, relatively speaking, the Islamic world was more tolerant than Christian Europe. Jews who have been persecuted in Europe under Catholic, especially kingdoms like Spain uh, in the 15th century, they fled to the Muslim world, in particular the Ottoman Empire, because there, were, there was more religious freedom there. Uh, the Ottoman Jewish community, among which I have friends, I mean, the Turkish Jewish community now, they, their ancestors fled Spain at the time of Columbus because the, the Spanish Inquisition was forcing them to become Christians. So they came to the Ottoman Empire and established their synagogues and their life. And it was more, the Ottoman Empire was more tolerant, uh, broadly speaking, compared to uh, some of the more, uh, let's say, confessional states in Europe at the time. In the Ottoman system, and before broader than the Ottoman system, in the Islamic legal system, Jews and Christians were always seen as unequal but tolerated minorities. And in that, in the pre-modern period, that was a great thing. <laughs> you were not being killed for your religion. That was an awesome thing. It was not equal, though. So they were called dhimmis, which are protected but unequal people. So they didn't have the exact same rights with Muslims. In the modern era, in the West, the idea of equal citizenship developed. And of course, it was established by, by the US Constitution and it was you know, in, in France and in the UK. Uh, so the idea that everybody is legally equal became the norm. And that didn't happen, of course, very easily. There were a lot of uh, battles for that in the West. And 
compared to that, the Muslim, uh, the minorities in the Muslim world today, Christian minorities, most of them don't have a good uh, status. There are states that claim to be Islamic, like from Saudi Arabia to Iran, they certainly don't treat uh, Christians equal. In Saudi Arabia, you can't even have a church. So I mean, there are certainly gross violations of religious freedom there. And in most of the Arab states, Christian minorities like cops in Egypt are either persecuted or they are, they are sometimes targeted by fanatic groups and the legal system doesn't fully acknowledge them as equal, equal citizens. So we have huge problems there. But also there is an argument that I'm also pushing for Islamic liberalism, which is arguing that get, to give full equal rights to Christians and Jews or, or atheists or any other group. Uh, and that is now a trend in Islam. And we've seen countries like Tunisia, for example, progressing towards that direction. And the Islamic uh, thinkers in Tunisia are not necessarily against this, uh, you know, liberal, let's say, progress. So it's a mixed picture, and there are certainly a lot of dark spots in the Muslim world today, but there are brighter ones too, and I think we should see the whole picture and encourage the brighter spots. If I understand your argument correctly, it is that the history, uh, and a checkered history to be sure, of religious toleration in the United States is something that encourages Muslim assimilation into American culture. It does. And I think when you compare the US with European examples, especially France, you see in the US a bigger emphasis uh, for religious freedom. And that helps integrate newcomers, especially if these are pious Muslims. Uh, you can wear a headscarf in the United States and go to school and join a job and I mean, get a job or join a company or institution and and you will be seen as, okay, you're, you're a pious person and that's, that's welcome. That's your religious freedom. You can't have the exact same thing in France. There will be, you know, bands on the headscarf. You can't wear a so-called burkini on French beaches either. And, there, and a lot of people in France think that that's the right way to do. We will impose laicite, you know, their notion of secularism. But that doesn't help. That actually pushes people away and they don't feel at home. They don't feel respected. And there are arguments, uh, studies showing that, you know, French Muslims in particular cannot become fully French, many of them, precisely because becoming French requires a lot, a very high dose of secularism. Whereas in the United States, religious freedom allows a lot of Muslims to be proud Americans while doing their daily prayers and you know wearing their headscarves if they think that's an Islamic necessity uh, or other Islamic practices. And that in itself should never be seen as a problem, uh, personal observance of religion, which is of course respected in the US model that I admire. Mustafa Akiol is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. He is author of The Islamic Jesus, How the King of the Jews Became a Prophet of the Muslims. You can subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you get your podcasts. And you can follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.